right, so this is an episode I did with Johnny Walls. Now, uh, newer school people probably don't know who he is, but, uh, you know, he was the guy who was responsible for the first ever live-streamed event in MMA history. He also did a lot of work with Jamie Levine, who is probably to date the most controversial uh, promoter figure in the history of uh, mixed martial arts. Uh, Levine was known for uh, being really brash, but also stiffing a lot of fighters, not paying them. Um, you know, we had fallouts in different states promotionally. And uh, so he was a very controversial figure. And uh, he ended up passing away from blood clots um, a few years back. And uh, yeah, so in this episode, you know, Johnny talks about a number of things he did. Uh, when he was involved with Jamie Levine and also with the UFC, you know, he uh, talked about taking down the UFC's website at one point um, when he was working with them and they had a disagreement, which is a pretty funny story. Uh, so for people from the old school, they're going to know who this guy is. And uh, people from the new school, you can uh, kind of listen to the first ever guy who was behind a lot of the Internet stuff that was uh, involved with MMA back in the day. How you doing, Johnny? Hey, pretty good. How about you? Good. How are you? So um, <clears throat> this is, uh, you know, I, I've done a lot of old school shows back from our era. So maybe I could let you, and I appreciate you taking time to do this, obviously. And uh, maybe you could introduce yourself. I'm sure there's some people watching this who may not be familiar with you. Uh, yeah, because I guess sometimes I was kind of a behind-the-scenes guy, but... Uh, uh, been around MMA basically since its inception. Uh, I uh, used to fight and, and things like that. My brother was a, a lightweight world champion for five years. Uh, but then I was the uh, first person to broadcast combat sports over the internet, uh, live video. Um, started out with like hook and shoe, WF, events like that. Um, ended up becoming like a, a commissioner for Shudo um, and just Basically, traveled around the world for about 18 years uh, with MMA and um, seen and, and done a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff and eventually in front of the camera stuff, too. So, When did you, like, first find the sport? Was it 1993 when it first came? Or? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I've always been the tech guy, so I used to, uh, you know, hack uh, cable with satellite boxes and stuff like that, so... Uh, first started out uh, with the shoot wrestling stuff that was coming out of Japan. And uh, uh, that's when I met uh, or heard of Bart Vale. And uh, he used to kind of started the scene a little bit in Florida. And that's sort of when I started getting involved and then met uh, Jeff Osborne. And, you know, in the beginning, it was uh, a lot of the people that uh, were just first on the Internet. And uh, um also, people like George Charwood and stuff that had the first uh, news MMA websites. And so just uh, being one of the first people on the Internet is, is mostly how I got involved. Yeah. And so what was your first uh, MMA project that you worked with? Uh, you know, I, I, I first started a uh, uh, Nose Bard fighting page in probably 95, 96, I think. Uh, started broadcasting. In 1997, uh, from Hook and Shoot, uh, competing and, and also broadcasting. Um, I wasn't a photographer, but I think I was one of the first people with a, a digital camera, too. So, you know, people used to go to fighting events, and, uh, you know, a week later or something like that, people had the film develop, and 
and try to put their photos up. And then uh, I was able to just start doing it right then and there at the event. And uh, that's probably the first way I first started getting a name made for myself. What was the page that you started? Uh, at first, it was called uh, uh, Johnny's uh, Fighting Page, but quickly it, it switched to uh, Bloody Knuckles. And so Bloody Knuckles, uh, you know, I had one of the first uh, T-shirt uh, or fighting clothing line kind of businesses out there uh, with Bloody Knuckles. You know, of course, that was back in the day when uh, you could give a fighter a T-shirt and they would wear it to the cage and, and proudly, you know, for a free T-shirt and uh, years later, these guys like from California came, they give people like $5,000 to wear their shirt, like tap out. And then I was like, oh, I don't know how to compete with that. Uh, I was, <laughs> it was hard to give people $10 shirts at the time. Now, when did somebody first want you to kind of start helping them broadcast? Uh, I think once I first broadcast, everybody jumped on it. I mean, you know, I was just a, basically a dude from West Virginia, uh, hadn't been out of here much. Uh, Myrtle Beach, you know, was probably my biggest trip that I'd ever been on. And uh, once I figured out how to broadcast live over the Internet, uh, especially from ringside, just using, you know, cell phone technology, you know, really slow speeds back then. Uh, I basically just got whisked away and was gone every weekend for 15, 20 years. So. Now, how did you figure this out? Uh, I've just always been the tech guy. You know, I've, I've, I've always been in technology and um, you know, uh, just kept at it and worked at it and, uh, was beta testing some technologies like uh, real audio and real video. Uh, I think the first thing I did actually was the very first beta of real audio, uh, 1.0. So, and that was, uh, you know, just audio, not video. So I basically did like a old school kind of baseball game play by play of MMA. And so I started out, the first thing I did was aggression radio. So uh, I would travel around and just do like an old school play-by-play uh, -play broadcast of MMA until eventually bandwidth got strong enough that I could do the video. And did you ever think when you were doing this, like maybe now, you're probably looking back and saying, you know, dang, I probably could have parlayed this into something maybe really big. Well, you know, it, it did get pretty big for a while. Um, and uh, I was approached at one point uh, by Cuban and uh, his live team to try to um, uh, buy me out and make me a part of their team or whatever. But I didn't know who that dude was. And, uh, you know, I thought I'd be bigger than him. So, <laughs> But, I mean, but looking back on it now, when you see, like, Twitter, Facebook, all this crazy stuff, people streaming everything, do you ever think, well, damn, you know, I was doing this before anybody? Oh, yeah, I did. I mean, you know, I was the first person also to uh, create a website uh, based uh, around video media clips. Uh, you know, I loaded my house with servers and, and, and T1 lines and uh, started putting uh, videos up uh, of fighting uh, way before there was anything like a YouTube. And so, you know, I kind of had like a YouTube before there was a YouTube. Um, the only mistake I made is I thought that people would generally come around something based on um, – a similar idea, in other words, fighting or, or this and that. I didn't know that uh, they just wanted videos of everything out there. So uh, now when YouTube first came out, uh, Google approached me because they wanted to compete with YouTube before they bought them and um, gave me free hosting for all my videos. And, and I grew pretty substantially at that point. And then so was it Jeff Osborne who wanted you to stream his events first or? Um, I think um, 
uh, Jeff, you know, he's a pioneer. I'm a pioneer. And uh, I don't even think I, I even told Jeff at first. I just went there and did it. And then, um, you know, uh, his event was a, you know, a little show in Indiana. Uh, it was a, a groundbreaking show, a groundbreaking event. You know, he was way ahead of his time. Uh, but I enabled the world to to see that it didn't wasn't just an event that stayed in Evansville, Indiana. All of a sudden, it became something that people saw worldwide, and it also meant that people that competed on that show were seen by people worldwide. And so uh, that made more people, uh, bigger athletes, want to compete in his event, and, and I think helped him with some sponsorship and things like that. And then uh, Jeff and I worked together pretty closely and. He always made sure I had what I needed, and, and I gave him, you know, a lot in return, too. So we became a, a really good team. Of course, later, years down the road, become, uh, when I became the Shooto Commissioner, I helped oversee some of those events. So. Now, where did you – you said you met Jeff in Florida, right? Where was that? Uh, no, actually, I met him. Um, I saw a post in, in 96. Uh, he started one of his uh, first events, and I saw that on – uh, the new Noel's Bar or new full contact fighting page, Noel's Bar fighting page uh, that that uh, George Charwood did, and when I saw that, I reached out to him. Uh, so we first made contact in '96, and then in '97 is when I started uh, attending his events. Now, what did you think of Hook and Shoot? I mean, that's one of the like you said pioneering events of uh, MMA. Kind of what? Well. Looking back on it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's my first time, um, you know, again, this was, I think, April 97, you know, so it's still a uh, pretty new uh, sport in a way to a lot of people. And uh, uh, Jeff would have two night events. So, you know, he would have some submission grappling. He would have uh, um, uh, shoot fighting kind of like where, you know, with open hand strikes on one night. And then the next night we would do the actual four no holds barred. And uh, in the four no holds barred, we used to do those in the old Bam Bam gym. So, you know, there was this was no big event. Uh, it was a, a closed door, you know, in a martial arts school uh, type of event where, you know, we put the chairs on the mat. We stood around. We locked the doors and, uh, you know, walls uh, were part of the combat arena. You know, you could ram people's head into the wall or, or do whatever you wanted. You know, you got blood on you at those shows. So Now. We're kind of doing the show to talk about Jamie Levine and kind of you were kind of like his right hand guy for a long time. When do you first remember meeting Jamie? Uh, actually, the first time I uh, got in contact with Jamie was my brother had been world champion for quite a while, lightweight. And uh, Jamie had put out a lineup for uh, I believe it was the going platinum event in uh, in Georgia. And so uh, he had my brother fighting Jens Palver for the title. And uh, I had never talked to him before. I mean, he was just now starting to really kind of build his, his stuff up pretty big. I uh, did follow it, but um, he reached out to me a couple of times, but I, I hadn't hadn't dealt with him much. And uh, so I'd reached out to him about that because he announced the fight and I'd never even talked to him before. And, uh, and of course, James is, is, a, is a damn tough dude. So, you know, uh, uh, that's not something you just agree to. You know, you got to talk about that matchup. And so, um, you know, I reached out to him about that. And so we ended up, uh, we didn't do that fight. He, he signed Phil Johns to do that fight, but uh, uh, ended up working out some things where, because his next, uh, the next event I think was going to be in West Virginia or a couple of events down the road. 
And so that's where I'm from. So I helped him start that fight uh, to, to have the event in West Virginia, which became really a big deal. And we ended up fighting the state of West Virginia all the way to the uh, state Supreme Court here in West Virginia in order to hold that event. And, you know, he kind of had a, a reputation maybe already when you had talked to him, most likely. So were you, you said you hadn't worked with him. Was it because he kind of had a little bit of a controversial reputation or? Well, you know, in MMA, um, um, uh, uh, Jeff Osborne, I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good, wholesome guy, you know, and uh, so my um, beginning in MMA uh was with you know good people you know and so uh you know i just tend to to levitate and, and hang out with good people i was good people you know and so um at first i i like the idea of just giving uh, these good honest promoters um the attention and and distribution that they deserved uh in order to try to grow their events uh not that i knew Jamie or anybody to be, you know, anything bad or anything, but, you know, he had money flowing in from everywhere. And so um, Jeff was putting on these shoestring events with shoestring budgets, but um, his heart was really in it. He treated everybody well. And so, uh, you know, I was trying to enable the the little guys to play with the big boys. And so, uh, but, but then my talents become wanted by the big boys too. So. Right. So when you're, I mean, I think a lot of people are probably wondering, like, he, he had all this money flowing in. What do you think it was about Jamie that made him able to, like, talk people into that kind of stuff? Uh, he's good at it. He was excellent at it. You know, I've I've learned from everybody I've worked with. You know, I've wor worked with, you know, hundreds of promoters and financial backers and, and you know, just different things all, from all different walks of life and, and financial levels and, uh, you know, I've learned from him too, you know, uh, I believe people have learned from me, but uh, I'm like a sponge, you know, I, I've learned from everyone. And um, uh, Jamie was a, a salesman. He could sell anything. He was an excellent salesman. Uh, he uh, was around people that had money. Uh, he lived with his uncle in a place where, you know, his, you know, his, his neighbor was Shaquille O'Neal and Tiger Woods. And, and so, you know, he wasn't intimidated by that. And he, most of the time he believed in everything he was saying too. You know, he, he believed he was going to make everybody millions of dollars. And so uh, millionaires like to make more money. And so he convinced them they would. So, so really he was, a. Uh, I mean, I know you, you hear all these things like out of Florida, like if you ever watch like American greed or any of these shows that, so really he was just kind of like one of those guys talking people into giving their money, but not, through uh, scrupulous means, but just because he believed that that it was going to work. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you see, yeah, the UFC obviously has worked, you know, and so, uh, you know, his goal was always to become the next UFC. I mean, at one point, you know, we kind of bought the UFC uh, before they sold it to the Fertitas. And, and it's funny you talk about American Greed because later we did, uh, an event with uh, Lou Pearlman, Transcontinental Records, and and Frank Vasquez. Uh, it was after we did, shortly after we did an event with them, that they got arrested for uh, a pyramid scheme of over three hundred million dollars. So uh, we actually were involved with uh, one, so some of the people that were on one of those American Greed TV shows. Uh, so you know, we were working with Transcontinental Records and and all that stuff when all that fell out. Now did. 
did you guys ever catch any heat for that or anything? Did they ever come and talk to you guys? Or? Uh, you know, um, um, I was talked to mostly because uh, uh, we thought the guys were ripping us off. You know, we kind of had a feeling they were a little bit crooks. And so uh, one night I had taken um, and uh, quickly grabbed the laptop of this guy who was keeping track of all the funds and, and made like an image of his hard drive so I could look at it later. And uh, uh, after they were arrested, that's when I saw all the money going to these over overseas accounts, offshore uh, bank accounts, and and these different companies they had set up and all this stuff. And it was it was it was kind of scary because. Um, you know, like you didn't even need an ID at this one place. It was just like twenty uh, string key of characters. You could walk into this safety deposit place and enter all these things, and and you would get this money. It was like five million dollars. So it was a trip. You know, we were worried about. You know, he was writing down a hundred bucks for lunch when it was only fifty, and uh, you know he was he was shoving a hundred million dollars somewhere. So, but you know, I, it it made me really uh, wish I had gotten you know. Added a dessert or something to my meal when we're in the Philippines, at least. I mean, you know. <laughs> right. Now, I wonder how you felt because, I mean, like I said, Jamie was kind of <clears throat> getting this image, at least online, that maybe he was, you know, some of the fives are getting ripped off or whatever the case may be. And you were doing stuff with him. Did it ever like, were you ever like, man, should I be with this dude or, you know? Well, what happened was Jamie and me. You know, uh, Jamie had reached a certain point where uh, his trust and faith was gone. He had spent his time um, burning bridges and, and uh, you know, people didn't want to fight for him anymore. And I mean, people would still fight for him because he would provide some avenue for a lot of exposure. Uh, but, you know, it would suck when he didn't get paid or whatever or this and that. And so uh, Jamie had reached a point where... Um, his name was no good anymore, you know, and so uh, he needed me. I had uh, the whole time, you know, been a very legitimate dude. Um, I had a, a good faith name uh, throughout MMA. Uh, everybody knew that I was straight up and you know, never screwed anybody. And uh, I was one, honestly one of the rare people in MMA that, that you know, uh, you could trust. And so, you know, that's the value I brought to him. And so, um um, when we talked about it, and actually what we ended up doing is, is splitting WF 50-50 uh, uh, between us. And uh, so I became like a co-owner of WF in order to attach my name to it and and risk all the goodwill that I had achieved up to that point. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting point that you bring up. Because once, yeah. once you're involved, now you have more risks on your own on your own name as to where when you're just a behind-the-scenes guy, it's not really... A big deal necessarily yeah and you know what happened was is, is uh, you know we got a new investment I mean I not only that but uh, you know I, I got mine from it uh, you know I made sure for instance you know I got video rights to the old events and so you know I started gathering up all these old masters and all these old uh, um, different camcorder tapes and beta tapes and all this stuff and so I started remastering all the old WEF events, uh, and what I did is I sort of, um, I was running uh, Aggression TV is what I was calling it at the time, and so I sort of integrated Aggression TV and WEF together, but kind of like two different products, uh, so as part of my Aggression TV package, uh, I started re-releasing all these old WEF events, and so um, 
uh, I became a uh, a producer uh, for these events for DVDs. I was one of the first person that started authoring and releasing DVDs. So, um, you know, I had a video magazine. I started uh, doing videos for for other events, and and so under Aggression TV, I, I had. At one point, like forty some DVDs out in places like Best Buy and, and places like that. Right. So when you did the uh, split with WEF, like, what was that negotiation like? You know, was it fairly easy or did they <laughs> well? Some uh, yeah, it was actually because um, you know he had created something where the name had value, uh, but attaching his name to it took away the value. And so, um, you know, uh, people had put a lot of trust in me. And so, you know, well, I could come out there and say, well, Jamie's involved. But uh, and then so what I did, actually, I did a couple of unique things. So uh, like the first couple of events we did, uh, I provided sponsorship for the fighters uh, for, you know, video rights and and um, all that stuff for their likeness and image and things like that. So uh, Aggression TV uh, paid the fighters. Uh, because I had the rights to the video uh, instead of WEF, so I could ensure that they were paid because I was the one that was going to pay them. But I think it's interesting that you bring up that, so he kind of knew that his name being attached to something wasn't good at that point. He was one to... Oh. Yeah, I mean, you know, he knew his name attached to it wasn't good, but there was no way that he himself wouldn't actually be attached. Uh, so, you know, he really... He needed somebody like me that 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 people could trust. But you know, I'm, of course, ideally, he probably would have liked somebody that could attach their name, but not be fully involved. And I just took over the reins and, and started running it because I needed to know everything, you know, in order to be involved. So, um, um, but we it ended up actually working pretty good. I mean, you know, we we both had our thing that we did and. And uh, we actually worked together pretty good as a team. Yeah. When was the, do you know, like kind of roughly, you don't say exactly how many, but how many events did you do as that 50-50 split? Um, maybe, uh, maybe eight, something like that. You know, but we had our side things too. We also did uh, like King of the Streets, we called one of our events, and we did uh, quest promotions with those transcon guys, and uh, then um, we brought in some other promoters, and then he changed it to World Extreme Fighting uh, Championships, so it was WFC, and, you know, different things like that, and then, and then we had the contract, uh, when it all fell apart, um, we had almost $3 million in investments, and, and did uh, set up like a world tour during the uh, hockey lockout and uh, had signed up events all across the country. Um, we did something unique then. We actually um, bought an ad. I created an ad for a trade show magazine. Apparently, there's, there's this magazine that goes around that these civic centers and stuff like that, book concerts, comedians, and things like that from. So uh, we reinvented ourselves as a traveling act, uh, like a comedian. So instead of going... And us renting the arena, us paying for lights and, and, you know, us paying for security and all that stuff. We sold ourselves like an act. So we got producer fee. Uh, they paid us a producer fee. We put on the show, provided the fighters, the cage and stuff. And then the arena, the investors paid for everything else. Uh, as any promoter knows, when you go to an arena and you put on an event, 
man, they kill you on stuff like lighting and and uh, just little extra stuff like that, you know, staff to, to clean up or to seat people. And, and so what happened was we got those fees off of our shoulder. And when the arena itself is putting it on, they just provide all that stuff as, as part of what they do and you get the best of everything. So it was a unique, a very unique way to do it at the time. And because of the hockey lockout, we mostly approached the hockey arenas that were were dying for events to put on uh, because they weren't putting on the hockey events. And let's talk about when WEF fell apart, kind of what happened there as far as why did it? Was, well, it's, it's pretty simple. Actually, um, um, I'll, we put on an event in Las Vegas. Uh, and so – we had had uh, a guy in uh, New York uh, and he was our agent. And so we had an agent, we had money put in escrow and all these different things. And so um, this guy's, uh, this agent's right-hand man was assisting with it. And uh, him and Jamie kind of did an end around, booked a couple events um, outside of, of our, you know, this guy's name was Todd outside of his, uh, uh, original scope, you know, and so uh, it was so we could cut him out basically because he had he was going to get 10%. And so we were able to he cut him out of the pictures, what they did. Now, um, what happened was we had an event we were getting ready to do in Phoenix, Arizona, and that was almost booked. But uh, Jamie and this other guy, they really wanted to do Las Vegas first. Um, the crazy thing about the Phoenix show is, you know, we pulled out of that right at the last instant, and I think, uh, I think it was RITC or something that took that show over, and they ended up having like 8,000 people at that. I mean, it was like one of the largest events done to that point as far as, you know, attendance. So we, we really lost out on that one. But anyhow, uh, we were putting on some events, and then when we did this Vegas one uh, uh, and dropped our original agent uh, is when things started to go a little bit awry. And basically, after we did that Vegas event the next morning, uh, we were supposed to meet, and we had done this at the previous events. Everything worked good. We were supposed to meet at 10 a.m., go over everything. We got our distribution as producers. And when I went there at 10, uh, Jamie and him had somehow already got the money out. and uh, They were gone. They was in California. Uh, Jamie already had, like, an escort with him somewhere in California at a beach. And, you know, I had to call, like, my bank and get my credit card limit, limit raised just so I could fly home. Um, <laughs> you know, so – uh, so we both were supposed to get $40,000. We got $40,000 for each event we produced. And so uh, when I come down the next morning for my 40000 it was gone. And uh, so it was pretty It was pretty interesting, though, because our next event after that was at Trump Taj Mahal. Uh, so um, when I didn't get paid, I started trying to do an end round and just take uh, the WF from Jamie. And so um, that's when I, I uh, approached Trump's people and some of the investors in New Jersey and um, tried to take that event away from uh, Jamie. And uh, that was my first dealing with some of Trump's people and stuff, which was pretty interesting. But uh, almost pulled that off. And then uh, Larry Hazard actually got involved. And that's when he just shut the whole thing down. He shut down the whole organization or just the event itself? Uh, the event in New Jersey. So, and you know, I'd worked with uh, him before. Uh, I used to travel around to different uh, athletic commissions trying to get the events uh, legalized. I, you know, uh, had helped with some of this, uh, the unified rules. And I used to try to, to I would travel around to different athletic commissions, pre present the uh, unified rules and um, uh, try to get it legalized and sanctioned. 
I put on some of the first sanctions events in Ohio and, and different things like that. So, um, um, you know, that was awesome. That's when I started moving towards the sanctioning side. Uh, Jamie and I did a show actually in Florida uh, where at the last minute they were going to shut it down because it wasn't sanctioned. So uh, we changed it, the name to wrestling. We called it uh, wrestling, World Extreme Wrestling. And so um, uh, the athletic commission actually came in there and uh, uh, the commissioner had rolled up a newspaper with a camcorder and filmed like the first couple fights. And uh, whenever they determined that it wasn't a wrestling event. And uh, so they tried to shut the event down and, uh, actually tried to arrest me and Jamie for that. And so, um, uh, we, he, he, of course, had a lawyer and, and we let them know that the winners were predetermined. We give them to them at the end of the show. We couldn't give it to them then because it was protected company information. And, and so we ba basically operated like we were WWE. And, uh, but then at the end of the event, they were, and this is, this is kind of how, uh, like I would get caught up with this stuff with Jamie. This was before I was, uh, uh, a partner with him you know i was just broadcasting but anyhow after the show uh, he came to me he's like dude they're gonna arrest us man we gotta go and so uh we went to a hotel right after the show like that's the last fight was in i threw our stuff in his car and drove to daytona and so uh the next morning went to uh, daytona 500 and he had like pit passes and all kinds of stuff and no well, we just had an awesome day and then the next thing i know um yeah i'm reading on the internet it's like uh, Jamie skipped out. He didn't pay the fighters. He didn't pay the hotel. He didn't pay anything. And I'm like, Jamie, what are you doing, man? Uh, Why do you pay the stuff? And he's like, Well, you helped me spend it. <laughs> he's like, This is this is the money we've been spending this whole time. And I'm like, Not we. Uh, I didn't spend it, but you know, it's it's just funny how he can get you involved in something you you did not know you were involved in. I just thought we was having a good time. Right. And uh, so I got Adam Gary here. He's asking if you remembered event in Steubenville where a fight. Oh, yeah, I remember Steubenville. That Frank Mirror was involved in. Yeah, I rem yeah, I remember Steubenville. There was a couple good events in Steubenville. Steubenville's got some tough people that live there, too. <laughs> but he said there was a fight that escalated, I guess, in the crowd is what he meant. But do you recall? Uh it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell which one. I mean, we if if he remembers who was involved, I remember. Uh, I, was involved. I know we had we had one show in Florida where Coleman almost got into it with somebody, and and I remember uh, up in Cleveland we had uh, um, Brad Kohler and uh, uh, Dan Severn fall out of the out of the ring, and and the crowd get involved. So yeah, there's been some there's been some crazy ones for sure. He said uh, Frank Mir like jumped off the top of the cage and elbowed somebody or something. Oh yeah, I remember something about that actually. Uh, I don't think I knew it was Frank at the time though. So you know, it's funny when you go back and watch some of these videos, uh, like that Ultimate Wrestling event in Cleveland. Like there was actually some big name people there. They just weren't big name people necessarily yet. But I mean, you could tell that they they were going to be big names. So. So let's get back to Jamie now. You said this is kind of like the first time you had heard that. Was that the first time that you had heard that he didn't pay anybody, skipped out on the hotel and all that kind of stuff? Uh, no. Um, you know, I'd heard that stuff before. Um, you know, I had never personally experienced it or whatever. Uh, 
and you know, I I couldn't understand. I mean, he had he had events on pay per view and this and that, but I'll tell you a lot of times uh, what would happen back then too is some of the fighters didn't want to admit they didn't get paid. You know, um, you wouldn't have people. Not everyone came out and, and said, you know, they weren't paid. So sometimes that was swept under the rug uh, because people were embarrassed by the fact that they weren't paid or they were just appreciative that they were on some medium that, that put their their name and face out there or, or they had a great knockout, you know, so they want to come back and fight again. So, uh, you know, a lot of that for a while was kind of swept under the rug a little bit. And I think uh, uh, later it started coming out even more, you know, what was going on. Maybe, you know, there is something you mentioned earlier. Maybe you could kind of explain it to that you're talking about an end around how Jamie and had done these things and then you tried to take WF from Jamie. Maybe talk about the whole end around type of thing and what that is or what you were alluding to sort of. Uh, well, you know, um, um, what I did was um, I went back with our original um, our original agent. And so uh, we tried to book the show ourselves because I own 50% and he still had the contract where he was the agent. Now this guy that actually took the money in Vegas, uh, uh, got in trouble because he took uh, Bernie Mac's money too. He was an agent for Bernie Mac during his tour. And so uh, he ended up uh, going away. And then this uh, at the same time happened to be uh, when Jamie had gotten arrested in Florida uh, for something with a minor or whatever. So, um, uh, you know, he, it was kind of good that he, that I got screwed right before that because uh, he had kind of tarnished his name again. Um, now, of course, the good thing was all the fighters got paid and everything like they were supposed to. So none of the fighters ever, ever did get paid in anything I was involved in. And so, um, um, but, you know, uh, I had ownership rights and the, our original agent had, you know, these rights to be able to book it. And so um, I tried to basically take it over and do the, the New Jersey show myself. And then it was at that time also, too, Jamie got popped for doing steroids because uh, he fought in, in that Vegas event. So he got popped for doing steroids, too. So, And I had this huge setup done for these events. I mean, it was just an amazing website and stuff. And so uh, I had just changed it to, uh, you know, when you would go there, you know, would say, show me the money, you know, show me the money. And so, um, you know, I just, I kind of worked to, to kill the event. I tried to steal it and then things started coming out and I didn't want to be associated at all. So I just tried to just kill the whole tour, which I did. And that was the end of WF when you did that or? You know, pretty much um, there was, he did a few years later, um, uh, get a deal, I think with Fox Sports. And uh, when he got a deal with Fox Sports, uh, he had asked me to come down. We hadn't talked in years. And so uh, I did come down for one last event. Uh, and, um, you know, he was on um, like sex offender registry or something like that. And so, you know, I just kind of um, actually what happened was is I want to be the first person to broadcast the MMA on Facebook. You know, Facebook had grown then. And um, uh, so I like being the first at crap. So. Uh, I was the first person to broadcast a MMA event live over Facebook. So I went down and broadcast that over Facebook. Uh, and then that was my very last interactions with him because I remember him getting up in the middle of the cage and uh, pulling his pants down and like mooning the audience. Uh, and, you know, he was a registered sex offender. You know, and I was like, you, just, you can't do this. I can't. It's, and I remember, you know, the things that 
Uh, yeah, me and Jamie got close at points, you know, uh, but there was also things that just drove me freaking crazy about him. Uh, and I remembered all of those things when I went back down there a few years later. So I accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, and, and then I was done with it. And then shortly after that, he, he passed away. So, But, I mean, when an event ends, when it's no longer in existence, did he sell it or did it just shut down? How did that uh, No, it just – you know, he, he was kind of doing an end around by calling it the WEFC by adding that C and championship, whatever. And so, um, um, you know, he, uh, after that show, I think they did have some things, you know, going with Fox sports. Uh, but after he died, then I'm not sure what happened. I still have all the, um, the WEF stuff. And, um, um, thankfully the, the media that I have, uh, won't decrease in value. Most people's stuff just decreases in value over time. But I have these, you know, beginning days of M MMA, these beginning uh, events of MMA, and and I just set on them. And and thankfully, I I believe they still maintain value. But even if not, like I don't know, I, I uh, you know, I'm not sure how all that'll work. But uh, I've been approached a few times, you know, for some some big companies about purchasing it. So I guess we'll figure all that stuff out then. Oh, so people are wanting to purchase the content. It's not on anywhere yet. No, no. I mean, I do. I release it, you know, sometimes on my own. I don't sell it. I've, I've released it, you know, for free just because, you know, a lot of that stuff is, is history of MMA. You know, it's it's the beginning days, and, and um, uh, there will never be video like that again, you know. And a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff you don't see nowadays. Um, you know, we, had, we used to have doctors that would, do stuff backstage they would stitch people up they would you know cut some swelling and and you know put bones back in place you know uh everything is is you know so big now that you, you don't have to do that stuff anymore so you know those early days of mma they're, they're very unique yeah i think for example that one show where dean thomas beat jens pulver that was a pretty big show at the time really yeah, it was, you know, and um, uh, the cool thing was being able to um, get that stuff out there. You know, uh, it, it was it was always tough for me. I had to uh, balance a fine line because I also did work for the UFC. Uh, you know, I helped with the, the first year of the Ultimate Fighter uh, television show. I did uh, the hosting, some of the, the media stuff for that. Um, I uh, uh, helped with the like second version i think it was of the ufc website when it was scg owned by scg and so uh you know i always had a close relationship with the ufc too uh it wasn't until uh the ufc was doing like uh for a little while they was just doing events in vegas for a little while and then uh, i knew that they were getting ready to move the next event like to connecticut i believe it was and that's when i'd approach jamie about jumping in and us doing an event in vegas instead and i think that's when we started um, um, causing a little bit of rift between me and the UFC because, you know, I was close with them at the time. I was able to work with several organizations and maintain, you know, um, my status at, on my own with my own business. Uh, but when I started getting a little bit more involved in WEF, it, it sort of muddied those lines some. And so uh, I think it was actually – the finale of the Ultimate Fighter 2 when I had gotten into it with uh, somebody from the UFC about something and uh, took their website down in the, the middle of their finale. So 
Uh, I'll never live that one down. <laughs> you did that? Yeah. I I think what happened was they had uh, uh, won the, the trademark or whatever for an octagon cage. And I, just, I thought that was bullshit. You know, um, a cage is a cage. Um, how you can tra trademark a shape, you know. And I believe in their first original pat or uh, application for that, um, they had used uh, – uh, the government had used some things I had said uh, and how it was a common term to call it, you know, the octagon or whatever as a reason for denying them. And so uh, I, that kind of put me in an awkward position too. So uh, whenever they were finally approved, they tried to come down on us for using an octagon in Vegas. So we were one of the first people they came after saying that we couldn't use an octagon cage. And um, that kind of pissed me off, so I just I took our website down in the middle of the show, and it was bad. Which show was that? Was that the finale of the first year? Uh, the second year. The second year. That was the ultimate fire. I, I think I put it up later. Like, uh, I shit my pants and, and backtracked and put it back up. But, yeah, I took it down for a while because we had to pay them, like, a fee to use our cage, you know. And um, uh, But, you know, a few days later, you know, I got ripped off by them. So, you know, then I was like, well, I burned a bridge with the UFC, too. I'd really screwed myself up. But let's talk about when you took it down. So what, you're at your house and you're like stewing up. I was actually, I was in Vegas, you know. And so I believe, too, that, you know, I, I, I maybe did kind of know some inside stuff as far as that they weren't going to do it was the first time in a while they, they weren't going to do it in vegas and moving to connecticut and so you know i also run like a news website so i did know some behind the scenes stuff and i think that you know it was probably um not wrong but you know i, I thought it was a smart business decision you know when i knew they weren't going to have a show in vegas to sort of jump in there and try to be because vegas was used to you know every so often having that mma show there and so I thought it would be a brilliant idea to jump in there and, and have a WEF uh, when people were expecting another event and they'd be out in Connecticut. And, uh, but, you know, that's their home turf. Uh, that's where they had grown it. And, uh, you know, me jumping out there and doing that on the side, um, I didn't think they, they liked that very well. That was some of my first dealings with Dana White. I mean, I used to, I, I've dealt with Dana White back in the day when he was around like Tank and, and Tito and stuff. And so, uh, that was some of my first dealings uh, uh, with Dana in his position uh, with the UFC. And, you know, I was still burnt, a little heartbroken by the fact, you know, uh, um, when Dan Lambert uh, pretty much had bought the UFC. And, and so me and Jamie, you know, were going to supposedly help run that and then to come to find out that, you know, these Fertitas, like, way up the price and took it, you know, that just, like – but just like dropped my heart out of me, you know, because that, that was a huge thing. Uh, but, you know, I've always been involved with UFC early since like Paulo Romero and there, them were there. And so uh, it did suck a little bit to uh, um, uh, lose that, that close relationship with them. Um, you know, I was invited to work with them way back in the beginning, I actually take on a, a full-time role there with something. And uh, I turned it down because I wanted to, to do my thing. I always wanted to just do my thing on the side. And so I've turned down a lot of those opportunities to do it. But just take me through when you took the website down. So where are you? And are you thinking like, was it like a, maybe an well, or did you <laughs> pick it out? Like, okay, you know, <laughs> like, 
You know, it's it's but it really is that simple. It is as simple as a button push, you know. And right. so, um, yeah, you know, I I um I was mad, you know, and um I felt like that there was a a cockiness that had um kind of was pervasive in, in the UFC through some new people, you know. I still have my old contacts and old friends there that that were still cool, uh, but I felt like that. Um, uh, the money, some of the money people and some of the, the, the bigger names were really cocky, you know, and uh, for instance, at one point I was supposed to come out and, and broadcast uh, a private feed uh, to the Fertitta brothers. They weren't going to be an event, and so I was going to provide this private feed to them. And uh, so, you know, when I made the offer and, and told them my price and stuff like that, it was a very fair offer. Uh, and they wanted to say they wanted to not pay me and just think that it would be just so cool enough to me to be able to be backstage and meet these fighters and things like that. And I'm like, I mean, these are my friends. I mean, I've known these fighters for years. You know, I was, this is not. I mean, this is my business. This is what I'm doing for you. You got millions of dollars, you know, and and they're trying to uh, rip me off, you know, for like 2,500 bucks, I think it was, or something like that. And try to just make me into a fanboy or something. And, um, you know, these are all my friends. I've known these people for years before they were even involved. And, uh, you know, to me, it was a business to business thing. And, and, um, this is just when they started getting big enough that they, you know, kind of thought people should just be so freaking happy that they were even there, that they should do whatever they wanted. At least in, in, in the people I dealt with about it. You know, I can't say about the whole organization or anything, but, you know, my direct contact that I was dealing with at the time uh, gave me that impersonation. Uh, you know, I was doing stuff that couldn't nobody else do. That's why they were approaching me. So, you know, I have value. Uh, and it wasn't just getting an autograph from a guy I'd known for 10 years. You know? <laughs> but when you did it, were you thinking like, oh, shit, you know, <laughs> should I do this or not? Or um. I should have thought more about it, honestly, but, um, you know, I don't know. I felt um, that these guys had gotten so powerful that it was nice to feel a little bit of power back, you know, and so uh, I did. I, I definitely felt some power at that moment, uh, but it kind of sucked, too, because, uh, you know, the reason I was doing it was because it was always to uh, bring exposure to the sport, you know, um, Whenever it got kicked off of uh, cable, it got kicked off of satellite. There was nowhere to go but my website to watch the UFC. Um, you know, I was able to keep the sport alive. It would, you know, probably would have died during that time. And so, you know, my broadcasting was all about the sport. It was always about keeping the sport alive and people to see it and allowing the fighters to you know to their talents to be recognized worldwide and so um you know there were there were a couple events the ufc you know gave me permission uh to broadcast the stuff over my website and you know so anything i do like that where i took it you know i took it down and i you know the ultimate fighter blew the sport up it really made it what it is today i was i was really happy to be involved in that and so Anything I did to lessen the exposure or, or put a blemish on the sport or something like that, you know, I felt really bad for afterwards. I lost track for a minute of what my ultimate um, role was in that and, and, and had animosity just towards individuals I was dealing with. So it really sucked. I ended up, you know, figuring that out and 
and um, putting it back up. But, you know, I, I wanted to show that I did have some, some power uh, there for a little while. And so by the end of the broadcast, I had it back up and, and making excuses. <laughs> so, But uh, they knew, you know, I told them. And, um, you know, after that, we sort of uh, – I still – I think I hosted a website for a little while after that until uh, they brought some other people in to – to redo it, but uh, I hosted the main website and the Ultimate Fighter website uh, for a couple of years there. So, what was the reaction like when that happened? Was everybody freaking out, or did they? Threaten yeah, you? they was freaking out, and I think you know a lot of people just thought uh, because it was so so big at the time that it probably just crashed or whatever. Uh, but you know, I think I ran my mouth and started bragging about it a little bit, so you know, people people kind of knew. And uh, um, I don't know. I, I'd like to, you know, at that moment, because I felt like that they were trying to um, turn me into like a peon and I'd been around the sport and, and helped, you know, the UFC itself stay alive, you know, for years. And so, um, you know, but ultimately what I was doing was against the very thing that I had gotten involved, the reason I had gotten involved. And, and, and that was, that was a, kind of a Jamie thing, you know, we're in Vegas and, and they're, we're having to pay them money to use this cage and this and that. And they're, they're trying to sign away our fighters. And this guy can't fight because he may have some contract with the UFC. Or now they've just offered him three times as much. And, and I got carried away in that and, uh, um, you know, took it a little bit too far. Uh, I think they kind of deserved it too. But, you know, uh, everybody's just – it's business. And uh, once I got to Vegas is, is when I really, really – realize the business side of it all it's a, it's a big deal once you get to vegas there's a lot of money involved some big pe big people involved and uh it changes things it can change you if you don't watch now did they threaten you legally after that or no uh no no uh never had anything like that um, i think you know um we still had some communications about me coming out and doing some uh uh, live broadcasting uh, for them. Uh, I'd always pushed to have the prelims aired. And so uh, we had almost made a deal where I was going to start broadcasting the prelims to the UFC uh, over my website. And so um, almost had that nailed down. But again, I think they were, you know, saying that I would get so much exposure from it and stuff, almost that I should pay them. them they were going to let me do it for free. And me doing it for free would be like huge to them, but I still felt like that, you know, I should be paid uh, for some of that stuff because it was also exposure for them. And, and uh, we just couldn't really come to an agreement on that. And uh, uh, eventually they started showing the prelims, you know, live on air. So now for people that weren't around back then, you had brought up Dana White and how you knew him back when he was with Tito and Tiki and all these people. What is it like to see him now as to him back then? Um, you know, it's funny because, um, um, to be honest, uh, a lot of people um, have some animosity towards Dan because they're jealous. I mean, I'm kind of jealous. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, um, you know the, a lot of people felt like they could have done that, that job, you know. And so there are times sometimes I talk crap about Dana because uh, I'm jealous. I mean, like, totally jealous. Uh, um, I wouldn't have thought that he could have done that uh, or took on this role and done it like he has. I don't agree with a lot of things he's done. Uh, but my, 
I felt like he switched overnight. I mean, he became a different person. He, um, you know, grew into his new role. He reinvented himself. Um, the way he talks, the way he even describes things, and the way he does business uh, changed, uh, at least from what I had previously known him as when he took that over. And so, you know, obviously he's going to rub a lot of people the wrong way. Um, but, you know, He's there at the helm. He's guided the ship, and it's a huge thing now. So, uh, but, you know, uh, I will still always remember Dana also as the previous person, too. And so, um, but, you know, some of the things that I get mad at him for, especially in the beginning, I was just totally jealous. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of us are surprised because, you know, when he first came on the scene, he was not who he is now. I mean... Like you said, it's like he changed the way he talked, the way he looked, the way he presented himself, everything. You know, it's like a somebody just made a new person, <laughs> you know, basically. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I've learned, especially in this industry and, you know, the different types of, of uh, fields of work I do, uh, you know, to have different personality types, you know, I don't change who I am, but just the way you talk to people or the different ways you describe things uh, even your rate of speech or, you know, whether you cuss or not, you know, you've got to use it different in front of different people. And uh, I feel like that he's, you know, he mastered that. And, uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Uh, the UFC has the results from his leadership. And so we can all say we would have done this or that, you know, uh, differently. Now, I did in the beginning, you know, when I talked to him, when he came on board, um I think approached him uh, because I had known him previously and wanted to talk to him kind of in that way. And he was already a different person, you know, coming at me differently than he had ever come before in a position of power or authority or whatever, you know, that I didn't quite agree with. And so we, we you know, bumped heads a little bit. But um, um, in this industry and doing what he was doing, he had to do that. So, uh, you know. Uh, if not, he he would have been ran over. So, you know, I, I applaud him for being able to do that. I just, um, being the old school guy, too, um, it, it didn't work too good for me. And I was, I, I was wanting to butt heads. Plus, you know, with the, uh, with us kind of buying the UFC there for like 20 hours or something like that, you know, uh, to me, that was my role, uh, or, or something similar to that, you know, that I should have been part of that and I knew enough to be part of that so again you know there was a jealousy thing there too more kind of envious and um thought I could do just as good a job as him but uh you know he's he's really navigated some rough waters he's made the sport what it is and uh um you know don't agree with everything I still will talk shit sometimes about something he says uh this and that but you know he's he's, he's been the man so he's he's pulled it off do you think people, do you think there were people behind the scene to guided him on changing his image or do you think he did himself? Um, no, he, he he's, he's a smart dude. He knows what he's doing. Uh, you know, um, that's why he had the contacts that he had, um, you know, and uh, the way I knew him and the people that he was around when I talked to him, um, he was presenting a personality that that matched these guys he was like managing and stuff you know i mean because 
you know, Tito and those guys, I mean, they're they're kind of nuts. You know, you're you you're gonna use a certain personality in front of those guys, you know, and that was the personality I was getting. So, you know, that probably just could have been another personality he was using at that time with those guys. And uh obviously with the contacts he had, there was other sides of him too that, you know, some people didn't even really know about. Now, since you're a tech guy, I did want to ask you, I've been thinking about this the whole time as we're doing this interview. You're seeing a lot of the stuff come around now with Bitcoins and NFTs. What do you think of what you're seeing with this? And streaming, obviously, maybe we can talk a little bit about that because everything is streamed now in the sport. But kind of in the sport itself, you're seeing a lot of NFT, Bitcoin, and obviously streaming. Maybe you can talk about all three a little bit. Well, um, you know, of course, I was a, an early Bitcoin guy. Uh, you know, I... Um, I used to help protect uh, um, a bunch of financial advisors across the country from um, spyware and malware and viruses and things like that. So um, I had to work with a great group of uh, tech guys, some really high-level tech guys. And, you know, early early in the Bitcoin days, uh, uh, I had set up a Bitcoin mining pool. So there was about 10, 12 of us that combined our computing power and and mine Bitcoin there for a couple of years. And so um, um, we've done pretty well with that, although a couple of them didn't keep their wallet. But, uh, you know, and so the NFT thing does interest me a lot. You know, uh, that would be something maybe cool down the road to do with some of these old original uh, fight shows that I have uh, to, to do them as an NFT. You know, a couple of these big WEF events would be neat to do, I think, as an NFT. Uh, now I, I did uh, sell a, um, um, a WEF uh, DVD back in the day for uh, two Bitcoin. So you know that was like worth eight bucks at the time, and so I sold it for two Bitcoin. And you know at times that's been worth like a hundred thousand dollars lately that I sold that DVD for. So it's it's pretty crazy. But um, yeah, and streaming, you know, uh, streaming is everywhere now. You know, it's kind of crazy because. This was, uh, you know, 25 years ago that, that I started the streaming stuff and um, doing it, you know, one one thousandth the bandwidth that we're doing now um, and, and figuring out how to compress and compress again and compress more. And, you know, I used to have my house filled with all these machines and servers just compressing video all the time. Uh, so it was pretty neat to be on the forefront of that uh, and uh to really get the sport out there because um, with me broadcasting, it became a worldwide thing. You know, all of a sudden now, you know, we've got people from Japan watching my brother from West Virginia fighting a show in Evansville, Indiana. And so, uh, you know, that's why I started also getting involved more with Shudo and, and, and organizations like that. And, um, of course, then getting invited out uh, to Abu Dhabi and I started broadcasting, you know, the, I did did the original broadcast of Abu Dhabi events online and working with the prince over there. And so, um, you know, it got me out. It got me around the world. And, and like, I'll, I'll forever be thankful about that, just being exposed mm -hmm. to other cultures and, and different people and places. And I think that, that a lot of MMA fighters uh, cherish that and really relish that um, ability to get out of their small town and, and travel around the world and just learn all these things about the world, you know. Of course, there's some guys, you know, they don't remember. They just went there and got trashed. But, you know, uh, it really has exposed a lot of people and, and made them more worldly and, and cultured, and, and I was definitely one of those people. Now, do you still have involvement with MMA at all or no? 
You know, I do do some small things uh, behind the scenes, and I try to mostly stay behind the scenes uh, just because it consumes my life, you know, for almost 20 years. And uh, people are still amazed that one day I just stopped. Um, but I did because it had just taken up so much of my life that um, uh, I just just stopped one day and just, you know, started. Uh, uh, of course, I have a little boy now. And so, you know, spending time with him and and uh, just getting back grounded a little bit, too. You know, it's one thing, you know, flying around the world all the time and uh, you tend to lose track of how awesome it is to get outside and play in the dirt with matchbox cars with your kid. And so I try to try to reground myself and refocus a little bit and use what I've learned um, and, and just stay home some. You know, I, I spent a lot of my life doing that stuff. Yeah, and with your skills, you can probably just, you know, kind of work from your home anyway, right? Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, MMA was always uh, almost a secondary thing to me because, um, you know, uh, especially in the beginning, I didn't make a lot of money from it. I spent more money a lot of times than I would make. Um, the equipment I had to buy, the, you know, these network lines and, and, and everything that I had to pay for, you know, I spent a lot of money. There wasn't a lot of money in the sport back then. These were small shows. Uh, a lot of times people were hoping to break even. Uh, they would pay me for coming out, pay for my hotel and stuff. But, you know, most of that stuff I paid for from, you know, my real career, uh, you know, in technology and stuff. So uh, a lot of times I was uh, losing money on the MMA side. It wasn't until the later years that, um, you know, I really started making some nice money from it. Uh, but in the beginning, I'll, was spending my own money because I, I believed in the sport. I was trying to grow the sport. I was trying to make it a sport. You know, I was one of the first people that started calling it mixed martial arts and trying to, uh, on advertisements and stuff, call it mixed martial arts and pushing for unified rules and and um, adoption of gloves and, and weight classes and things like that. So, you know, it was really uh, neat to, to be a big factor and uh, making it some spectacle into making it a sport. And so, you know, after all of that had been achieved and, um, you know, then it was about fame and glory and I wasn't too much into that. I, I liked in the beginning days being down in the dirt and, and, and making it into a sport and, and changing the way people thought about it. Now, let's talk about you, when Jamie passed. Where were you when you heard about it? Um, you know, it was, it's kind of a crazy thing because, um, when I was on that quest that shows with the transcon people and stuff, uh, that's when there was a, a lot of fallout, a big money and stuff. And, uh, this was shortly before Jamie had passed and, uh, Frank, who's the, uh, transcontinental guy, um, Lou Perlman's right-hand man that we've been working with. Uh, he called me one day. I was actually at like a parade here in town, uh, taking pictures and, um, uh, he was in his garage. Uh, his friend guy was in his garage, um, had his car running. He was killing himself and made one last phone call to me, like while he was dying. And, uh, um, you know, that was a crazy moment. And then uh, shortly after, Jamie died and um, Lou Perlman went to jail. And, um, you know, it was like almost everybody I dealt with during those days uh, with WEF and that, that quest show we were doing, like, they were all dead, like within – you know, a matter of a couple of months, and and it was just kind of crazy. Now, uh, I had had some fallout with Jamie at that time. Um, uh, Jamie's Jamie was the kind of person, honestly, where um, 
And if you had a problem with him, it wouldn't just be business or professional. He'd try to take it personal. And so, um, um, for instance, we had, uh, I got some uh, gloves from uh, Awana back in the day. Uh, you know, Awana wouldn't deal with Jamie because of his, um, you know, how, how he was known or whatever. And so uh, a lot of times I would have to re- work directly with people and talk them into to doing business with me uh, instead of Jamie. And so I think I'd gotten some gloves off of him or something, and uh, they had sent uh, me 1500 bucks for it. And uh, uh, one day, like, police showed up at my work because I'd been fighting with Jamie at that point. And uh, he had filed something, say, and I stole $1,500 for him or something. And so, you know, I had to show these guys it was about the gloves and this and that or whatever. But he didn't care. He'd send police to your work. He'd. He'd make up stuff and try to come get you, arrest you for this and that. Like, like he didn't care. So he was trying to get the masters back from me. Uh, you know, I had the rights to the masters. And so towards the end, the last few months that he was alive, he tried to do everything possible he could to kind of just uh, screw my life up to get these masters back. And, and he wasn't getting the masters. Uh, so there's, you know, I was always the good guy. I never had anything to hide. So. Uh, it kind of, it kind of sucked that that you know we were fighting when he passed away, but uh, it did also really just kind of clear a lot of that out of stuff I had to deal with, and that's when I really just wanted to kind of get out of MMA altogether. It was just too much money and too much drama at that point. It, it was hard to find anybody that was just being true to the sport anymore. Everybody was about how much money they were going to make, and you know it was there. It was big now, and I didn't need to, to play that role I used to play. So it really wasn't a thing where you wanted to go go to his funeral or anything like that when you heard he passed? Um, no, but um, at the same time, it did make me sit down and think, you know, that um, um, we did have a close relationship. You know, I, I, I have a close relationship with almost everybody I work with, even if it's just business, you know, I, I tend to get to know people. You know, and um, although I certainly kept some type of a distance or a separation between me and Jamie, um, I still was at, you know, his kid's birthday party. You know, I was still, you know, there was his uncle. I was, you know, I still knew his family well. And so, um, you know, it was still a sad thing. I still felt sad for the people around him. Uh, so I uh, felt sad for his kid. And, um, you know, his, his uncle was very welcoming of me. I mean, he had this like, basically a mansion, you know, and, and, um, you know, I'd leave West Virginia, they'd fly me down there and I'd go stay like in a part of this big mansion, you know, and, and got introduced to things that, that I probably would have never been introduced to before in my life, you know, but, um, that's how I've always been thinking about that. And, um, you know, I've learned things, uh, for, we were a great yin yang team, you know, he's coming in there with the big salesman pitch and the, the, the verbal this and that and the, the, the loud talking and the millions of dollars stuff, you know, and then I'm coming in as the data guy, you know, the mailing list and the, the viewership and the ratings numbers and, and things like that. And so we did make a great uh, yin yang team. Uh, we worked kind of perfect off each other. Uh, there was time we didn't get along a lot. Uh, you know, we definitely did things uh, different ways. Uh, but together, we did make like a hell of a team. Now, also, go, I always got to talk about there, uh, Renee Rosensteel. She was like a behind-the-scenes person that uh, was never in the limelight, rarely got credit. But she was always there when, when it came event time. 
she was always there. She was running stuff and, and make sure everybody was where they were supposed to be and, and making sure me and Jamie didn't forget something somewhere. Uh, uh, Renee Rosenstiel was always a huge part of everything. She was a badass. Well, Johnny, again, I want to thank you so much for taking time to do this. I mean, I, I love being able to talk about the, you know, kind of like our era when we are the underground uh, forum era of people. And uh, these are kind of stuff I really love doing. So I really appreciate you taking time to do it. And, uh, oh, yeah. No problem. And we didn't even hit like crazy stories like, you know, Abu Dhabi and stuff either. So it's, it's good. <laughs> Come back and do those if you want to sometime. But I know like, I try not to take up too much of people's time when I do this, but I hear you. Yeah, we could do some sort of Abu Dhabi show because I know some other guys that are involved in that. So, well, uh, maybe we get a few of us together or something. You know, yeah, so. that'd be. So it was great talking to you, Johnny. It's great meeting you, and uh, yeah, let's do some Abu Dhabi or something sometime. We'll we'll talk about it, see what we can do. All right, man. Appreciate. It. Have a good day. Yeah, it was great meeting you and uh, great talking with you. All right, thanks, man. Yeah. Bye. Now, normally I would tell you where to follow the guest on social media, but Johnny isn't uh, very active on social media, especially these days. He is uh, he is kind of active on Facebook, but it's mostly like you know, your typical uh, stuff that someone would do when they're speaking about their private lives and whatnot. So, uh, but if anyone's interested in getting a hold of him or something, you reach out to me. Uh, and uh, like I said, you can always follow me at Instagram at the underscore todd underscore atkins underscore show and uh please subscribe to my youtube which is a todd atkins show and uh, as always appreciate the support and uh i'll be uploading more episodes soon